Welcome to Bloody Mary, a podcast about horror movies, feminism, and sexuality. I am your host, Kristen Lighty, and with us today we have Milwaukee's own Caitlin McCarthy. Hello. Hey, Caitlin, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? I am Caitlin McCarthy, and I am a comedian and producer in the city of Milwaukee. I perform mostly in Milwaukee. I'm starting to get out of the city a little bit, which is nice. Um, but I produce a monthly showcase at Var Gallery, second Friday of every month, called Subjective, kind of combining art and comedy. It's a good time. And mm-hmm. I also am a co-producer for the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. Hell yeah. Your show Subjective, I enjoy doing it so much because you, you, know, you know, not only is it like comics doing sets, but then, you know, you prepare a statement before you go up kind of like this is who I am you got homework yeah I I really love the show I'm I'm very it's one of those things where I'm I'm very proud of that show because I wanted to make it different when I first started the show it was when I produced shows with cast of killers and my producing partner and I were just like we need to make this more exciting uh, as opposed to just a regular stand-up showcase and we've got this beautiful uh, venue we might as well utilize it in some way and uh, I just thought you know first of all the name subjective comedy and art very subjective art forms and um, what makes a comic tell the jokes that they do is something that the audience doesn't ever get to have any insight to mm-hmm. so that show gives audiences the opportunity to really understand where the comics are coming from when they tell the jokes that they do i love it because every time i watch stand-up comedy i want to know who are you and why should i care and exactly. i feel like observational humor like i just couldn't care less about because i'm like yeah it, whatever right <laughs> i and you know we we've had conversations about this before where i like the i like deep and dark mm-hmm. stuff um first jokes that i ever wrote were about my dad uh dying <laughs> Uh, Lamp riot over <laughs> here, <laughs> uh, and his battle with cancer, and um, you know there are some o- audiences that are really uncomfortable with that subject matter. But then, for the times where I tell those jokes and I can see somebody in the audience, um, you know, laughing and smiling, it's just like, well, they get it. That's good. That's mm-hmm. important. Like, um, I, I would open it up by saying, uh, "So my dad died 11 years ago." And then uh, I was just like, oh, don't, don't worry, he died of cancer, uh, colorectal cancer. Eh? Eh? And first of all, it's just, does anybody know their anatomy? And mm-hmm. do they know what their colon and their rectum are? And there was one time I did that, and there was a guy in the front row where I saw him kind of nodding. He's just like, that's pretty funny. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, awesome. Proceed. Yeah, uh, and I think that narrative is so important because death is something everyone will have to encounter and right. face. And for you to put it on the stage makes people feel not alone. Exactly. And I, uh, I am a very uh, open person when it comes to subject matter. I try to talk about... Uh, serious stuff there's sometimes where it does still feel kind of fresh and maybe it's more of a cathartic thing for me to say it um, but I really I enjoy talking about it on stage um, yeah it's fun I think it's important yeah it way is. more important than like <laughs> <laughs> dudes talking about their dicks dudes talking about dicks <laughs> we 
Which is also important. It is. I mean, it is. We need to know. I don't want to undermine anyone's narrative. No. You know? <laughs> we need dick jokes in our life. Yeah. Uh, okay. So, what is the first horror movie you remember seeing? I can't remember if it was it was either Halloween Ooh, or or it. Ooh, both great. And I want to say it was probably it because I remember sneaking and watching part of it. My mom was watching it in her bedroom and I kind of like sat outside her door and I peeked in and it was the opening scene with uh, Georgie in the sewer. Mm. And I, I looked it up. Um, uh 1990 is when that movie came out so I would have been like four or five years old oh me too yeah so <laughs> <laughs> um and I remember seeing Halloween at a very young age and uh I I I love horror movies it's my mom is a she loves slasher flicks from like the 70s and 80s and we're still horror movie buddies to this day um we I love that I love that so much I yeah she's we're pretty bummed that we still haven't seen the newest uh Halloween movie yet we <gasps> just we haven't had the chance you have to go together I know yeah. like we we both love Jamie Lee Curtis and the Halloween movies and um yeah she's she's my horror movie buddy she's the reason I I love horror movies um I just love being scared I think it's just it's such a fun I, it's much like comedy where it's just like it's a relief and my favorite thing is being scared and then immediately laughing mm -hmm. I think comedy and horror are actually much closer than people oh yeah <laughs> more than people think it's all about that timing oh yeah <laughs> yeah there's just way more tragedy and horror than there is <laughs> so you kind of answered my other question already about like how you feel about horror as a genre overall but I want to I want to hear more about you and your mom. I love this so oh, much because yeah. my mom, she's like, I don't like horror. But then I look at her like DVR queue and it's all like wives with knives. And oh, yeah. Like, no, yeah, my, my mom is she definitely <laughs> she raised me on Law and Order. Uh, Criminal Minds was like the one that I really started to love. And I wanted to be a forensic pathologist for the oh. longest time, not because of Criminal Minds or CSI. I, I just honestly, I think there's like this book series that was made into movies with like Morgan Freeman and Ashley Judd or something <laughs> where I don't know Morgan Freeman's character was like a criminal pathologist and I always thought it was really interesting you know what makes um what makes human beings kill and like I mean not to freak you out you're in my home I right have now to go. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but like human beings we all have the capacity to kill like if you really think about it taking a human life is not a difficult thing to do but obviously there's something in my brain and my morals where I'm just like I'm just not gonna do it <laughs> I don't wanna mm -hmm. but then there's like other people where it's just you know they snap and it's super easy for them to not to look at another human being and and say yeah I don't I wouldn't care if you weren't here anymore you know mm -hmm. um so yeah and I true crime I'm I love this resurgence now of true crime uh not even a resurgence I think it's always just been there but people are now with all these podcasts and um social media where especially women women in their early 30s are just it's almost as, w as if we have all this unexpressed rage exactly like i don't know where that comes from um but yeah we actually 
are more comfortable talking about it because we have our we have our safe spaces um, on social media where we can, you know, post memes about <laughs> murdering people. <laughs> <and> <laughs> it's totally acceptable. <laughs> but yeah, I have a yeah, sick sense of humor a little bit. Um, I like with things I talk about in my comedy. I like dark. I like gritty. I love horror movies. I'm curious with uh, loving dark topics. Has there ever been a joke where you feel like this is just the best thing I've ever written and it gets no laughs? Um, I think, yeah. I mean, seriously, one of the first jokes I ever wrote was um, after my dad passed away, they had a relay for life on my campus and the theme was <laughs> cancer is not a game. And every team had to dress up like a board game. And I was bothered that not one team bothered to dress like the game Sorry. <laughs> or even the game of life. <laughs> and there was one time I my my buddy Nate Craig got me a guest set at a comedy cafe here in Milwaukee. Uh, R.I.P. <laughs> and the f- I had just done my five minutes at the comedy competition uh, earlier in that week and it went great and I was doing the exact same five minutes at my guest spot and first four minutes awesome and then I go into like the deep dark shit because it is usually a good strong closer and that night crickets like absolute crickets oh, and it was just like well too. that's it <laughs> bye guys bye. <laughs> and I think it, oh what's his name uh Nate Abshire um from I think he's in the Twin Cities he came up next and he, he's just like I want you all to know my parents are healthy and alive <laughs> and I was just like fuck show off god damn it yeah I was just like what's that like um but no it's uh it bums me out and I ever since then I, I haven't told those jokes at a show and there are things that I want to bring back and work on them because it, they have the potential to be super funny and you should you should yeah and I've had other comics tell me that they want to talk about their dead parents but they just haven't found a way and like local comics here say that they really like that material and I'm like thank you mm-hmm. make me I know what I'm doing sometimes hell yeah yeah now, I had a joke uh that I still love to this day but it's uh, uh, talking about my divorce and like people trying to set me up on dates and I always say oh no thank you I'm really looking forward to dying alone <laughs> <laughs> thank you well, and then there's like some jokes where the audience where they'd be like oh like and it's just like no I'm literally inviting you to laugh like it's yeah. okay and um I <laughs> um so my boyfriend and I broke up like a couple days ago mm. and um we just oh do you, i hate i hate the oh, i'm sorry <laughs> no it's okay it's it's okay it sucks but you know whatever um we broke up my cat died we're just we're yeah just we're, a just, pair. we're just we're just a pair, pair <laughs> hanging out on a saturday night <laughs> drinking coffee <laughs> in my apartment um but i i did an open mic on tuesday night and i was just like what am i doing what am i doing and i I walked out on stage and I was just like, so you guys, I just recently went through a breakup. So I feel like this is going to be my Tignataro moment uh, where I go out on stage and where she's, she went out and said she had breast cancer, but instead of me saying that I was diagnosed with cancer, I am sad. <laughs> and it was just like, and I got a laugh and like there, I was just like, okay, all right, well, I might get some jokes out of this relationship. 
So oh man, I okay. So I moved from Green Chicago to Green Bay, and I have to say that's like the number one reason I miss Chicago is like when you have a shitty thing happen. Yeah, you can go up on stage and just I mean it's all just for comics really? that you know. Yeah, but it absolutely. feels so good to like ha- say it to your community and have your community laugh yeah. and know what's going on and like. Oh, I miss that. Definitely. Like, uh, this was like a 9.30 mic, and I think by the time I was on, it was already 10.30, and uh, most of the comics had come from another show, so the room was just comics, and we were all, mm-hmm. like, kind of drunk, and uh, no, I, I it was a very uh, welcoming thing, mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, so... I'll get some jokes out of that. Oh, maybe. for sure. I and I'm so. sure there were so many things along the relationship you wanted to say, but. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I mean, he was, a mu- <laughs> he was, he's not, he's not dead. Uh, he, <laughs> he's a musician. And so oh, yes. <laughs> they're just like, oh my God, a comedian, a musician who can't communicate <laughs> properly to one another. It's just like, he might get a song out of it. I'll get a shitty joke out of it. Mm-hmm. You know, win-win for yeah, both of us. For sure. <laughs> Yeah, with my cat passing, I talked about it on stage a little, but uh, the, the one joke I got out of it was, you know, losing a friend of 13 years has really taught me a lot about myself, mostly that I'm very comfortable with crying in public. <laughs> <laughs> I am. Oh, my God. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And then if they tighten oh up, I just man. say, don't make me do it here. <laughs> I'll do it. I'll fucking cry. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. I would. Yeah, definitely. I would cry for sure all the time mm-hmm. oh my god oh my god what are we talking about okay oh yeah <laughs> why are we here <laughs> okay so for us to talk about uh you, you chose hereditary i did like, oh, it's, oh it's so good i did um okay so for those of you who maybe you're tuning in for the first time bloody mary we go full spoilers so if you haven't seen it Go watch it right now and come back. When I've listened to your podcast, I've actually like turned it off to watch movies. Oh, that makes me so happy. (laughs) What was the last one? Uh, The the holiday one. The one about the holidays. Uh, Oh, man. What was the one? No, not the holidays. XX. Oh, yeah. Didn't you love St. Vincent's film? Yes. So good. She's so talented. So many different uh, mediums. She's great. Okay. Bitch. I mean. (laughs) (laughs) Fuck her. (laughs) Fuck you, Annie Clark. (laughs) I hate successful women. <laughs> <laughs> Sisters, I do it. Okay. Uh, Hereditary is the story of a family who is dealing with the death of their grandmother and then the death of their youngest daughter. And you think it's, uh, you know, being you know, racked with grief and guilt. But then it turns out, oh, wait a minute. Grandma was a Satanist and she sacrificed their youngest daughter and their son uh, for the god of hell named Payman. And uh, hilarity ensues. <laughs> <laughs> Not hilarity. Okay. Oh, where was that? Oh my God, it's Charlie. So, a lot. I'm I'm interested in why you chose this movie because so many of my horror friends hated this movie. They did not like it. I loved it. You loved it. Why did you pick it? I can understand why people would hate it. I really enjoyed it because. It was unlike anything I had ever seen before. I really have big, you know, I've got, I've come to appreciate those real slow burn movies. Um, I think uh, Witch was one, oh, I think it was released by the same production company too. Mm. Uh, so, you know, they know how to do those slow burns where it's just like, what's happening? Where's the payoff? And then the payoff is just, what? Um, but I, I picked this movie because I, watched it 
And then I think <laughs> I yeah, I watched it. Step one. And I think I just I uh my boyfriend at the time and I we just stared at the TV and we're like, What did we just watch? And I knew I needed to watch it again, like immediately. Mm-hmm. And I did the next day. Um, and I just, every time I've watched it, I've seen it uh, now th- at least three and a half times. I, I see something new every time. Mm-hmm. And you pick up on things that you missed the first time. And it's just, it's such a well done movie. And uh, like, there's a lot of people who are, you know, with like the Satanist aspect, there's um, people comparing it to The Exorcist where I would put it more in a category with The Shining, where it's real atmospheric, just eerie, and it's, like, by the end of it, you're just like, I don't know what I just watched, but it was kind of one of the coolest things I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I would definitely compare it to Rosemary's Baby. Oh, that too. Yeah. For yeah. Sure. Yeah, in, yeah, yeah. In the moments of, like, weird, awkward humor. Yes. Uh, and just kind of like altering your sense of what you think reality is. Definitely. Yeah. I love this movie. It's so good. Um, so some of the themes in this movie, you know, there was a really great t- piece in the New York Times about how horror is more about like in the home now. Like you had the Babadook and this yeah. film and it follows where it's, it's making horror more about interpersonal relationships. And I feel like Hereditary hits the nail on the head with that because it really, like, the mother-child relationship should be the most, uh, you know, like, sacred, sacred of all familial relationships. Yeah. And there's a few scenes in this movie that are just like, holy shit. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Tony Collette is an amazing actress, yeah, by Tony the way. Yeah, Tony Collette, I, you know, I she acted her ass off in this movie and Do you know she's uh, like british australian oh is that it she's australian <laughs> yeah i know things yeah, no. <laughs> <laughs> it just sucks because i know she's gonna lose the oscar to lady gaga and that kills mm. me i love lady gaga but you know come on uh nobody loves horror I, and oh that's like when i first started doing this podcast uh, I would try to read reviews on the mm-hmm. movies, and I was like, everybody hates every movie. Yeah, and I was like, oh, yeah. No, they just hate horror. They just hate horror movies. Um, Which is why, like, Get Out didn't even have a horror category. It was nominated as a comedy. comedy. That's so insane. Yeah. I like. There's nothing funny about this movie. I mean, there's <laughs> the naked Satanists. I really did appreciate mm-hmm. though, um, and. <laughs> uh, Spoiler alert, we, we recorded this already. I don't know if we want to <laughs> tell our, uh, the okay. listeners. So <laughs> I used to have a less than great sound system, and I had one mic, and I would make people sit very close to me, <laughs> and it was really awkward. And uh, I did that here with Caitlin, and it sounded really bad. Yeah. And it made me realize, okay, I need to buy the real deal. Yeah. Two mics. And so now we're, like, sitting quite luxuriously no, apart like from each other. <laughs> laid back you can't I well I don't have my pen in my hand but I you could hear me nervously fidgeting my pen I was like oh don't sound like an idiot um and then there was like someone practicing drums <laughs> got that totally got that check yeah that person like I don't know whatever happened but he stopped also our windows are closed now so um oh. I hope you're still out there drumming buddy yeah li- go for the gold keep the music alive <laughs> in your drums <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, we discussed uh, how we kind of appreciated the body positivity of Satanists because they're all just naked. <laughs> um, and, you know, they're not the most um, fit 
kind of old and floppy. Old and floppy, and you know what? I appreciate. I appreciate their. Um, <laughs> I was gonna say bravery, but I'm like they're, they're just so naked. brave. They're so brave. These Satanists are so brave. They're so brave. <laughs> um, <laughs> but yeah, they're just free, man. <laughs> um, and I, I do like that. Um, I wish I, <laughs> I wish I had the body positivity of a Satanist. <laughs> Hail Satan! Hail Satan! Uh, oh my God! If my mom ever hears me say that, <laughs> mine too. No moms allowed. It's just a joke, mom. It's a, yeah, it's just a joke. This movie was so good, and you talk about how horror is moving more in the house, in the home, and I, I couldn't agree more. Like it's, I think, you know, in the seventies and eighties, there's there was like a real fantastical thing with horror, and like we still have that, but I think. You know, I don't know, maybe we're all getting a little bit more uh, full of existential dread mm-hmm. where we're th- like things like Freddy Krueger and Michael Myers just aren't cutting it anymore. <laughs> Get it? Stab, cut, <laughs> yeah, whatever. Um, <laughs> comedy. Um, and now with these movies, it needs to it needs to come home. It needs to hit a little bit harder and you need to have these real life experiences to get absolutely terrified and the relationship between the members of this family is absolutely horrible like this I would not want to be in this family they're a nightmare they are they suck I feel like the house kind of exudes that uh their relationships as well like the house is always very dark and dim and it just looks like it would be cold. And it's I not. It does. It's not a cozy home. It's a beautiful home, but it's not a cozy home. It just looks like it should be a, like a weird art gallery, mm-hmm. and that, just, just these weird tones. I don't know. It's just. It's a weird artsy house where it's just like there's no love in here. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and mom, yeah. is an artist and does these miniatures and like i'm just so thoroughly midwestern that part of me was like that's your job like right (laughs) oh yeah like this is all you have to do (laughs) you make tiny houses (laughs) make Um. doll houses (laughs) (laughs) oh your work must be very stressful (laughs) yeah and she just keeps putting off like her one show it's just like what do you even do Mm -hmm. uh but you know the i i love that aspect of annie's life where everything around her is kind of spiraling out of control but like these little um basically dioramas of her life are the one thing that she has control over and they're just these super intricate recreations of of her life she even recreates the scene where her daughter is decapitated by a light pole and it's yeah and like then why would you do that yeah, the dad asked her like yeah hey you know peter our son might see this why did you do this yeah and she's like it's just an observational view yeah no big deal yeah nbd yeah but yeah she's uh th- the annie is just man she's she's a nightmare but i also um kind of empathize with her because she she said she didn't want to have kids she even mm-hmm. says it to peter like I, I never wanted to have kids and he's like well why did you and his it, it came out that uh, his grandmother uh ellen ellen mm-hmm. ellen or queen lee um ellen kind of pressured annie into having kids in order for this 
great thing to happen. Um, and Annie never wanted to have kids. And I think it's kind of, <laughs> you know, watching it now out of the being in a, a relationship. I was just like, I feel that's kind of how I feel about having kids now, where it's just like I, my family only wants me to have children in order to sacrifice them later in my life. <laughs> so I just shouldn't have kids because, <laughs> you know, the devil might get involved. They're just going to end up dead. They're just going to end up dead. For uh, Satan. For, yeah, for Satan. But no, that's yeah. that's very real. Uh, actually, I was married for quite a while, and that's why I got divorced is because he wanted kids, and I and I just do not want that. Um, but I think I think the pressure for women to have those children, whether it's like from you know direct family or just society in general, is very real. It can be very bad when women who truly do not want to be mothers then have children because it could just be a bad relationship and then you have these like jaded children or um you could be uh, trying to murder your child for satan (laughs) you know i mean pto meetings are a drag yeah definitely (laughs) um yeah I, i i i feel bad for annie um but at the same time you know just stuck to your guns don't have a baby mm-hmm. but but yeah and and she tried to keep uh the first kid peter the oldest she had a really bad relationship with her mother and when she had peter she said you're not coming anywhere near him which peter as we find out was ellen's end game like she needed peter but she then had to find another way to get to peter so by the time Charlie, the daughter, was born, Annie was kind of just like, okay, well, you can have this one. Yeah, she actually says, have, like, like, I gave her I gave Charlie. her Charlie. Mm-hmm. And the gr- this still is so gross to me, and I can't, like, I don't know if this is, am I weird to think that it's totally gross that Annie would let her mother breastfeed her child? So Is creepy. that even a thing? Do grandmothers? I, d- I don't know. They shouldn't. You know, I wasn't sure if that actually happened or if it was her artistic representation of, like, her stepping into the role of mother for Charlie. But either way. I feel like, didn't she say it, though, at some point, too? Maybe. I thought she did. Maybe in the grief, uh, the grief circle. But, um, yeah, there are some things. W- what I appreciated about this movie, too, was that a lot of really big plot points were kind of just casual conversation mm-hmm. where um, some of my favorite scenes were the classroom scenes Ooh, at Peter's yeah. school where basically they're discussing Peter's life and he's not paying attention, um, you know, talking about um, <laughs> like these tragic, uh, these Greek, the uh, Oracle, the Oracle and like these characters in Greek tragedy were, is it, more or less tragic that he didn't know that this was happening to him and he couldn't do anything to stop it or would it be more tragic if he knew about it and he couldn't stop it you know and it's just like pay attention Peter and I think (laughs) that also happens for like the rest of the people in the family where there's all this stuff happening around them and they're not paying attention 
Mm-hmm. What I love so much about that scene is Peter is looking at a lady's butt. He's looking at a lady's <laughs> butt and he's getting a text message <laughs> telling him about a party and says, bring your dick. Yeah. That's probably the best line in the whole movie. <laughs> I know. Which I, I like personally really relate to that scene because there's so many instances. Of course, hindsight is twenty twenty. Oh, but yeah. looking back, like I should have been concerned about something, you know, like a upcoming booking or yeah, something sure. with work. But I was like, ah, boy. Exactly. <laughs> no, definitely. <damn> it. <laughs> For sure. And, you know, also in the grief, um, the grief counseling, the group session, Annie basically tells the entire history of her family. And she talks about her brother, uh, Charles, who Charlie was named after, I am assuming. And Charles killed himself at like 16. And he was diagnosed with schizophrenia. And in a suicide note, he said he accused their mother of trying to put people in him. And I was just like, oh, Ellen's been at this for a long time. Mm -hmm. And it just. It's so weird. Like, how do you even know your mother like at all? No, apparently not. Yeah. I loved that scene so much. I, I feel well, I'm a sober person, so I've gone to like like a support group meeting mm-hmm. And I feel like it captured it so well because there is always that like it took me like, I don't know, probably like four or five meetings before I like said anything. And that moment where Annie is like, I don't want to talk. No, no, maybe. Uh, oh, OK, here's everything. And yeah. then word vomit. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just all of the entire. I, like, I totally that is get informed. that. <laughs> yeah. I've never I've never been in a session like that, but I find that the way I'm like on first dates or something Mm. where it's just (laughs) like, I shouldn't really talk about my dead dad, but here's everything. Here we go. (laughs) Here's a buffet of me. (laughs) But yeah. So grief is a huge uh, theme in this film. And I feel like it's almost its own character. So much so about how this family has no idea how to grieve and let one another grieve. And there's a lot of grief policing happening in this film. Definitely. Uh, there's been there were numerous scenes in which uh, Annie is like asking her children, like, wouldn't you feel better if you cried? Shouldn't you cry? Why don't you cry? And uh, I've I have this happen because like sometimes when something is really horrendous, I laugh, and my brother has it, too. Um, So we are just a riot at funerals. (laughs) (laughs) I get that. And it's terrible, and I know people are probably like, but it's like you you can't tell anyone how to grieve. And I'm sure, like, your own life experience, you've got a few stories about that. No, absolutely. The one line that stuck out to me about grief was – when they came home from Ellen's funeral, Annie asks her husband, should I be sadder? Mm, mm-hmm. And, you know, from everything that you find out about their relationship, probably not. Um, but at the same time, yeah, like there is no right way to grieve. I, you know, when my dad passed away, we we knew it was coming. Like his, he had cancer and he had been in hospice care for a month and for a month his doctors were telling us any day now Mm. any day now any day so I basically grieved for weeks and then when he finally passed it was kind of just like I'm I can't cry anymore like I just 
I'm kind of relieved. Mm-hmm. And um, I think that might have been how Annie felt too. Like she's kind of relieved that her mother's gone mm-hmm. because they had a shitty relationship. Um, and then from from my experience during that time when my dad passed away there was like a couple year period where a bunch of people that I went to high school with also lost their dads whether it was to illness or accidents and I kind of found myself like okay I've, I've gone through this I feel like I should say something be a friend but then I realized like everybody grieves differently you know some people cry and cry and cry some people you know self-medicate some people you know for me you know now my grieving is going to comedy shows and Mm -hmm. trying to joke about it or like just listening to other people funnier than me tell jokes um so the way people grieve everybody's different and this family just never accepted how the other people were grieving and this family just has zero communication skills and Mm -hmm. it's really sad to watch yeah and i felt like okay between peter and annie Mm -hmm. there was um okay peter is a teenage boy he accidentally murdered his sister he doesn't have the emotional capability or maturity to handle that right and he was kind of high too he was kind of high yeah but Annie wants him to claim that yes, and, and take responsibility for it in a way that I think you just can't expect a child to do. Yeah. And then it leads to this constant back and forth between the two of them, which escalates in that dinner scene, um, you know, where he, Peter keeps asking Annie, like, you seem like you want to say something. And right. she does. I think she wants to, like, demand something from peter that he's just he's just not mature enough to give and in that moment it made me think about annie not wanting to be a mother and i think it really showed through in that scene because she can't um she can't give him that right her any sense of nurturing that you'd expect from a mother is completely absent Mm -hmm. in that scene because it's just a conversation that neither of them was ever willing to have the scene where Charlie dies is still, it's still one of my favorite scenes, mostly because it's, it was so unexpected, Mm -hmm. but then also there's like a solid minute afterwards where Peter is just sitting in the car, realizing exactly what's happened. Mm -hmm. And just the look in that kid's face, like another just brilliantly acted part where it just, you know, you know he's a little high, and he knows shit's happened. Oh, I just killed my sister. And just the look in his eyes, the pain and the sadness and the, oh, my God, how am I going to tell my parents? And how does he tell his parents? He doesn't. Oh. He just drives oh. the car with his dead sister's body in it, no head, parks it, goes to bed, and then the next morning his mother discovers and the way they lay that scene out is so brutal you just see peter it's straight on shot of him lying in bed Mm -hmm. with his eyes wide open like his face he's so young but he looks so soaked in stress exactly and then you hear 
Annie, okay, bye, I'm going to go. I'm going to go to the store. And then you just hear the wailing. Oh, my gosh. And Tony Collette's, oh, her crying. Yikes. Like, mm-hmm. the, there's, like, a few quick scenes after that where she's just, like, on the floor screaming, I want to die, I want to die. And, like, the, I, I, you know, watching it again today, I was just, like, I don't know why that surprised me, like, that reaction, because she's, you know, she's always said, not, I mean, I'm not saying that she wouldn't be sad that her child is dead, but for a woman who seems so distant from her children, to have that sort of reaction, like, I want to die mm-hmm. now that my child's dead, but then again, you know, I don't have a kid, I don't know. But I also, <laughs> I think it's jarring to us as audience, because pain isn't really shown in that sort of visceral way. I think that might be it, on too. On film, you know, especially like a white waspy family, it's always Definitely. Like, oh, heavens, I'm sad. And I think also, y- there's a scene later where Annie's having coffee with uh, Joan, and she's describing the fact that she technically didn't get to see charlie at the funeral you know like they they didn't have her head Mm -hmm. and so like that sort of a thing is you know you you want to be able to say goodbye yeah but you know if they don't have their face you know Mm. that's so i do understand you know again everybody grieves differently so here i am judging this mother who you know may or may not have wanted her kids and uh yeah she's uh, how dare you judge this imaginary mother (laughs) you mean this wasn't based on a true story (laughs) oh jesus (laughs) i had it all wrong (laughs) and then the grief the way that they experience it they really exclude peter like there's a couple scenes where they're grieving together yeah and peter is just kind of lurking he was definitely a lurker <laughs> i i've i felt he, peter's the character that you this movie was expertly marketed first of all um they cut the trailers really well because you're expecting something completely different first of all like mm-hmm. you have no idea what this movie's even about for mm-hmm. most of the movie so when you see the trailer you're just like i don't know what this is about but it looks creepy and you see this creepy little girl and you think that charlie's going to be playing a much more ra- major role and then you come to find out it's actually more about peter than it ever was about charlie and so i i love that that was done and yeah you're kind of just trying to figure out what is peter's role in this and then it, you come to find out you know at the end of the movie he, it is all about peter and it's interesting too. It's just about his physical body. Just his physical body, and like that's the one thing that I, I really liked how it was done. And about I don't know if this was in the movie or just something that I picked up on like the research that I've done. But like Payman is uh, one of the kings of hell, and he can take on any form. He has taken the form of a female, but he prefers a male vessel. So, you know, the fact that Payman at some point in the movie was in Charlie, where Charlie was the vessel and then Annie was a vessel. At the end of the movie, he was in Peter and that's where he wanted to be. And now, apparently, 
hell's gonna freeze over i don't know if that would happen <laughs> is there gonna be a sequel I'm not sure what their long-term plan was yeah we, i don't know what the plan was um just to have a naked groovy time mm-hmm. so one thing i noticed in re-watching this again is all the female characters in this film are beheaded what yeah. does that say to you what does it s- what does it mean some patriarchal bullshit yeah uh, <laughs> <laughs> no um I never really even thought about that with um, the beheading. It's so awful and visceral. Um, Mm -hmm. I'm trying to remember. I I know, again, in the research that I saw with Payman, there was something about heads. Um, There's, like, a picture of Payman, like, on top of a pile of heads. Um, It's just his thing. It's just his (laughs) thing, yeah. (laughs) And he's also riding a camel sometimes, too. There are no camels in this movie, though. Mm. Um, But, yeah, the the beheading thing was obviously a theme. Um, I I, I have no no explanation or idea. I guess maybe it was just, like, representative of, like, what women give up for their families. Like, particularly Annie. Yeah. Oh, that's... That's really, oh, I never even thought about that. That's a good, yeah, I, I, that would make sense because there's the scene at the beginning, towards the beginning of the movie where Annie finds a card in a book in Ellen's belongings and it's a, it's a card, it's a note to her and Ellen is basically saying, apologizing for all the pain in her Mm -hmm. life, but the reward is going to be greater than the pain and you know, again, it's one of those things where, like, Annie doesn't even look into it. She doesn't even think about it. I mean, she just gives it a passing thought. I mean, it does sound like something a Christian grandma would say. That's true. Like, yeah. Jesus loves you. That's true. Bye. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, yeah, I uh, the pain that they have, it's foreshadowing, man. Mm-hmm. I want to talk about uh, Joni and Anne, Annie. Mm-hmm. And why do you, because I've experienced this as well in dealing with grief, why do you think it's easier for Annie to talk to this total stranger that she has no idea who she is than it is for her to talk to her own family about this? I think there's no stakes, you know? Yeah. Like, you don't, I, it's kind of like how, why people go see therapists, you know, why I people guess, spend yeah. a couple hundred dollars every couple weeks to see basically a stranger and tell them all their shit. Hey, Denise, what's up? (laughs) (laughs) That's mine. (laughs) She doesn't listen to this. I don't have one. (laughs) I should get one. I, yeah. Um, Dr. Brewer, what, what? Um, He's, he's just my general practitioner who like every time I go to see him, we just end up having like a half hour conversation. <laughs> I was just, I feel like I should pay you more. My OGBYN in <laughs> Chicago, I loved him so much. Any problem I had, I would just try to like make it like a vaginal. Like, <laughs> I just need to go see this Dr. George. She's great. Yeah. Like, I think she just, um, I don't know. Maybe Annie could have also seen her as a more of a, a mother. Also, she did have like a really nurturing vibe. Definitely, about her. Um, you know, God be cradled by that bosom. Yeah, and doubt. I love her. She's mm-hmm. great. Um, I saw an article about her online where she really didn't find success until her fifties, and 
That's true. I mean, she's won like an Emmy in the last couple of years because of Handmaid's Tale. Yeah. you. P- last time we recorded, you mentioned that yeah. she is the auntie from Handmaid's Tale. And, and Lydia. I was like, what? Oh, my God. Well, and she like is. when we first watched this movie, uh, <laughs> my boyfriend, he was just like, I don't trust her. And <laughs> I was just like, I don't ma- I mean, maybe. And he's just like, no, I don't trust her. And then at the end of the movie, he's like, see, I was just like, OK, all right. I thought it was witches. I thought she was a witch. I mean, witches, Satanism, kind of the, the, not the same thing. Mm-hmm. Sorry, Wiccan friends. Um, I'm going to get so many angry emails. So many emails. <laughs> You're going to put a hex on me. Please don't. Um. The final scene in which, uh, you know, Charlie and Payman are in uh, Peter's body and Joni is like welcoming him into the new world and there's all this bright light and like really calming music yeah that scene was so interesting to me and it also it reminded me a lot of rosemary's baby because it's this thing that should be kind of like terrifying but everything artistically surrounding it is telling you like calm beautiful it was was the first time in the movie where there was no chaos Mm -hmm. and it was bright it was it was bright and the music was um I think I said coronation music. It it felt like a king was being crowned and everything was going to be okay. I mean, it's just so weird to be like, it was kind of the happiest of endings you were ever going to get from a movie like this. Yeah, and when they pulled back, that treehouse looks like a nativity scene. Yeah, it looked like a nativity scene that my family had when I was growing up. It was in, in uh, in the likeness of one of... Annie's dioramas and it was just this joyous happy ending but you know the king of hell had just been crowned and we're all gonna die I guess I don't know (laughs) so there were so many instances where they kind of zoomed in on that treehouse and it's where the film starts and where the film finishes and where each character kind of went to find solace right what does the treehouse represent to you I was trying to figure that out. The more that I watched it, the couple of times where you're in there and you think, when I think treehouse and there's a kid in it, it's like their fort. It's their, it's their place. It's going to have like drawings in it. And especially for how much Charlie loved drawing, it was a super nondescript mm-hmm. treehouse that had like a heater in it where people actually slept out there. And I was just like, what is the, f- seriously, what is the function of this treehouse but to be a temple of, I think it was a temple in mm-hmm. um, in more ways than one where people really did go there to try to sleep. Um, at the beginning of the movie, we find Charlie there uh, the morning of their grandmother's funeral. And there's another scene later where Annie gets out of bed and she's just like, I'm going to go to the treehouse. And Steve's just like, it's coming if you're cold. And she's like, I just need some sleep. Like she's going to get better sleep in mm-hmm. a treehouse than next to her husband. Mm-hmm. Um, I think it was just the um, um, fortress of solitude yeah. for, th- for everybody. And you know what's so interesting is like there is never more than one person in the treehouse Except for one of the parents to be like, hey, get out of there. Get out of, yeah. But then in the end, 
they're all in there and it looks much more spacious and like to me it kind of represented like maybe it, it represents like communal thought in that aspect of like letting everyone in and having a shared understanding i like the temple analogy too oh yeah we're like yeah oh, i totally get that because you know in the beginning charlie was kind of alone in her weirdness and then annie was alone in her grief and mm -hmm. then at the end everybody's all together you're so smart. That was I kind of I love analogy. the idea of like yeah. the Satanist representing like yeah, life sucks and life is hard and yeah. terrible things happen, but we're all together and we're all naked. Get naked. <laughs> 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 no, I like that too. You know, it's it's a weird thing where everybody in the family died such horrible deaths. Um, mm -hmm. Poor Steve, Oof, man. Yeah. I he's the one that I feel most bad for because you know. It is kind of interesting, though, that he didn't really have a, a bigger role in trying to bring his family together. He kind of just let Annie be a bitch to Peter, which is kind of a downer. Um, everything that I've read about this movie and from what I've surmised, he was a psychiatrist or a psychologist or mm -hmm. something. And so I think that Annie might have been one of his patients before they got married. Um, or at least that's just what I think. And uh, for him to really not try to like wrangle the family and be like hey family meeting mm -hmm. how's everybody doing yeah um i mean doesn't mean that he deserved to die the way he did um i think he was just an obstacle and payments like get out of here mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah. so um he just he just uh collateral damage you mm -hmm. know I do feel bad for him too he was trying to hold everything together and like shield annie from a lot of terrible things yeah I do love that scene, and it makes me laugh so hard. Where um, you know they're in the house, and Annie has discovered her mom is in the uh, attic. And oh my god! Yeah, and and he <laughs> sees everything, and Annie's like, "But there's more!" And he's like, "Oh, more than your dead headless mother yeah. in the attic? Oh, great!" And I, uh, that's just another example where like everyone in this movie is trying to gain control, and they're they're over controlling to the point where they have absolutely no control and no idea what's going on in their lives where somebody at some point snuck a dead body into their attic and everybody was so caught up in their own bullshit that they didn't realize mm -hmm. um and then also they see these these words uh, latin i assume writing on the wall literal too. writing <laughs> on the wall where if i would have seen that word scribbled on the wall i would have immediately pulled out my phone and googled it and yeah. then been like ha that's weird but other than the bring your dick no phones in the movie um <laughs> yeah yeah well there was that one scene that you pointed out where Peter is having his uh, like moment in the classroom and one of the kids is filming it. Yeah, that's um, I don't know if that's like a sign of the times or whatever, but I was very surprised with that. Um, I don't know if it was just like uh, just for the film, but the fact that like the teacher didn't even run up to him and be like, are mm -hmm. you OK? Uh, but yeah, one of the other students was, was filming it. I was just like, that's very 2018. Yeah. Um, it made me feel like too, like, oh God, it's so representative of like the alienation we feel yeah. in society. Like we don't have close bonds. We're just content for each other. Yeah. And know? like at, at that point in the movie, there was nothing anybody 
could do that was going to save Peter. Like Peter, and and that's again going back to the conversation about tragedy. Where is it more tragic that you know there is even if he knew about it, there was nothing he could do to stop it. Everything had already been set in motion by Ellen and mm-hmm. her decision to literally sacrifice her family. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, um, oh, I, I love this quote. I wrote it down. Um, Pawns in this hopeless, horrible machine. That's, yes. that's uh, from one of the classroom scenes. One of Peter's classmates says that. And again, the entire conversation in the classroom was exactly what they were going through in their lives and uh yeah it's just it's so sad it's it really it did remind me of greek tragedies where there was nothing these characters could do it was going to happen to them no matter what um because you know the Joni and the satanic cult they were going to find a way and um Rewatching it this afternoon, I don't know if you remember this, the scene where she, uh, Annie's over at Joni's and she's having a cup of tea. Annie takes a pill and then as soon as she puts the cup down, she wipes like something away from her lip mm-hmm. and they have a shot of it on her finger. And I remember like seeing it. I'm like, what is the point of this? They're obviously showing this to us for some reason. And I tried looking something up before you got here and people just think that it might be some sort of like witch's brew to make Annie yeah. a little bit more susceptible to things. And maybe it's mushrooms. Maybe. Oh. But that was a moment that I felt like it was Rosemary's baby too. Yeah. Like, it's Tana's root. Don't worry about yeah. it. Oh man. I mean, there's just, um, they were going to find a way and they did. Mm-hmm. That's what I love about this film. And, you know, even the title, uh, the overall theme of, like, you can't escape your family's legacy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we talked about this last time, and it was, <laughs> I thought it was a really good point, so I'm going to bring it up again. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, when my dad was diagnosed with this cancer, the kind of cancer that he had can be hereditary. It can be passed down through your genes. It's one of those, like, breast cancer where if someone in your family had it, you know, your chances go up. And he was diagnosed at age 45 or 46. And at that age, men aren't necessarily going into the doctor for colonoscopies. And they say not until 50. And when he was diagnosed, we find out that two people in his family died of colorectal cancer and my dad's like, what the fuck? I don't know if that's what he actually said, but I was like, what the fuck? Mm-hmm. Um, so now that we know that we have this family history, um, you know, it now it didn't help my dad, um, but it helps my brother and I, where when both of us turn 30, we, you know, have to go in now for regular colonoscopies where, you know, we now know and we could do something to help prevent tragedy and you know cancer will find a way if it wants to (laughs) but Mm -hmm. you know um we feel a little bit more prepared Mm -hmm. and uh yeah it's good to know good to know get your butts checked everybody (laughs) that's my get that butt checked checked. um Mm -hmm. yeah yeah. i uh i got my mother's arthritic hip and had hip replacement at 38 which was kind of nice because she how i'm 38 now seriously yeah girl (laughs) 
it was nice to have the same because she had gone through it two years earlier so like she knew everything that was happening oh. and um like what i was going through healing and what i needed uh so in that way the genes thing it was kind of helpful yeah it was helpful <laughs> for sure so yeah it was just that thing where i'm happy that i know about it now but you know then of course Mm-hmm. When I turned 30, I was dreading this moment where I would have my colonoscopy where like it was funny afterwards, you know, mine came out totally clean. Like I didn't even have polyps, which I guess is super good. And mm-hmm. uh, afterwards, my mom and I went out to lunch because I hadn't eaten for almost 48 hours. And my mom's just like, I have to tell you, I'm I'm super relieved. And I was just like, well, I would hope so. And she said, it's just that you were so worried about this I was almost positive that something was going to show up and if it was going to happen it was going to happen to you because like Jesus and I know that sounds like really like a shitty thing for your mom to say but I felt the same way like ever since I was in my mid-20s when I knew I had to have this I was just like I'm going to get something like I just I was convinced of it because I was Mm. so fearful of it um, so like the fact that there was literally nothing, I was just like, huh, that's cool. <laughs> like it was, it was, I'm still shocked, but uh-huh. and I got to go again in like two and a half years. So mm. every five years now for, you know, I, I don't mind the cleanse. Mm-hmm. The cleanse is fine. So what are your favorite parts of this movie? I think, um, I really, for how morbid and terrible this sounds. Charlie's death is probably one of my favorite scenes in horror films just because it is so unexpected and Mm -hmm. like there are horror movies that do kill off kids but oh not so aggressively um you know this poor girl she's she's having an allergic reaction to nuts and then she gets decapitated by a pole and it's like I would have rather choke to death please <laughs> thank you <laughs> yeah um or just stayed home <laughs> yeah and it's just it was very very graphic like they do a hard cut to like her head just sitting mm-hmm. on the side of the road later um just be, it was something that i had never seen before where they're just like yep here it is this is happening um and then there's uh all the classroom scenes you know mm-hmm. on the second and third watch where i realize i'm like oh this is they're t- this is a movie like they're talking about all the plot points in the movie this mm-hmm. is so important yes um because you just think of those scenes as just background chatter and it's not important and mm-hmm. you know there are things that are written on the chalkboard that have everything to do with the movie yeah poor peter if only he was poor not a peter. stupid teenage boy yeah pay attention in class guys yeah uh my favorite part of this movie was where Payman took annie's body and Oof. she was like on the ceiling and then chasing Peter and then was like banging her head against that attic door. Yeah. It's terrifying. That, this movie, like I said, slow burn a little bit. Um, and then at the end where uh, Payman takes Annie and it's just like everything and anything is happening. And it's just it's so, so graphic like mm-hmm. that. I mean the last um the uh, the first watch of the movie 
where it all of a sudden goes from zero to 60 and you're seeing Annie like in the corner of Peter's bedroom and you're just it's so shadowy and you're like is that what what is that it's your mom and then it's just <laughs> and then oh my gosh it's so scary it is and um obviously the scene with <laughs> Annie decapitating oh, herself like that yeah. is seared into my memory <laughs> like it's uh you know you see the piano knocked over and you're just like why is this shot here and then you're like oh piano wire like just super graphic um but um this movie's so good yeah and then i really really loved the final scene it felt like a godspeed you black emperor video or something i really liked that truly like that um and you know like we discussed earlier it's just that's the first time in the movie where you feel relief but all but the bad guys won you know Mm -hmm. it's a it's it is a weird feeling um because yeah the whole movie you're just there's so much tension and everything's building and building and building and then the relief and the release is the king of hell wins and Mm -hmm. um you're not used to being happy about those things. <laughs> I can't help but think back to something you had said recently ab- in this interview about how, like, dealing with your father's death, and it was terrible as it was happening, but then when it was done, there was a sense of, like, it's over. Yeah. Um, it, um, when it was over, it was kind of just like, I know he's in a better place. I, you know, I do believe in a afterlife, whether it's just a naivete, naivete, um, or just hopeful mm-hmm. that you know his pain is, you know, wor- it it pays off in the end where he's in a better place, um, and also just because like knowing my mom and my brother were in so much pain too, where we all could just kind of start to not not move on but like get past this really awful time Mm -hmm. um but then we had everybody else around us just starting to grieve that was tough that was really tough like I remember I think it was like one of my mom's cousins just lost it at the funeral and he like grown man like weeping in my arms at the age of 21 where I was just like, I can't, I don't know what to do. And mm-hmm. there was, um, there were points at the funeral where I was laughing and I actually had this, um, this weird thing going on with my chest. I think it was called like costochondritis or something where I had inflammation of the tendons, um, in my chest and it hurt to breathe it hurt to cry Mm. and it hurt to laugh. So like somebody told us a funny story while we were in the, the visitation line. And I like, I doubled over when I was laughing because I was in so much pain. I was just like, everybody's going to think I'm bawling my eyes out Mm -hmm. when really I just, I can't cry anymore. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, the relief of the relief of death after a long period of time is, it's a weird thing to explain to people who have never been in that situation because, you know, you're watching somebody that you love just kind of slowly slip away. And, you know, for how greedy it sounds, it's much easier on you if mm-hmm. they're gone. Um, but also, 
he's not in pain anymore. Mm -hmm. So that's more than anything. That is the most important part. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on to talk about this. Oh, this is fun. So much about your life. I appreciate (laughs) it. It's got real personal guys. Yeah. Um, Do you have any final thoughts on uh, the film? Watch this movie twice at least at least at just least buy it twice yeah i i bought it i bought it without seeing it because i knew i was gonna love it i uh i think this is a really well done film it's a beautiful film the soundtrack is great it's and going back quickly to the conversation about mm-hmm. like the end scene where it's like coronation music that's the first time where like it's it sounds like joyful music the entire time it's just like this yeah like just noise and percussive and kind of unsettling mm-hmm. um it's just it's a beautiful movie i highly recommend it um even if you end up hating it i don't care you've seen it it's great <laughs> it's wonderful and uh the entire cast is awesome anything you would like to plug oh yeah i actually have a couple shows in december uh december 6th um i am doing a show at the peanut butter and jelly deli such a cute name right it's a new show in west dallas um run by dana airman it's a free show love her um there's a place called the peanut butter and jelly deli and they make like specialty peanut butter and jelly sandwiches um i'll be doing that one (laughs) it's run by eight-year-olds exactly (laughs) (laughs) they make really good boozy shakes too um and then what's the other one i'm doing december 18th i'm going to be at landmark lanes doing voyager which is a fun uh Stand up and improv show where That's they do. That's uh, a Jay Taylor Menzer show, right? Yes. Okay. Um, and Tim Higgins, who's an awesome dude who mm. does improv here. And then the show I produced, Objective, will be Friday, December fourteenth at Bar Gallery. So. I think that's pretty much it. I invite people to come to. Uh, <laughs> it's <laughs> we're calling it the um, what a, a New Year's party with Shane Moss. I produce shows with. Milwaukee Comedy and we're doing a New Year's show with Shane Moss and its unofficial title is Caitlin's Birthday Party with Shane Moss. Oh, that's fun. Because my birthday is New Year's Eve, so... Um, You're a New Year's baby. I'm a New Year's baby. Wow. So, that was a nice tax deduction for my parents. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, uh, December 31st at the Underground Collaborative, uh, MilwaukeeComedy.com for not just the shows that I do, but shows that happen in Milwaukee, because we have no stand-up comedy clubs, but the independent show scene is thriving. It is, and the Milwaukee Comedy Festival is really a treasure. It's like 14 years now, right? Uh, This year, I should know. 13. This was unlucky 13. Yeah. Oh, I was on that this one. Yeah, you were. Spooky. Spooky. (laughs) (laughs) All right, well, that's been Caitlin McCarthy. I've been Kristen Lighty, and this has been Bloody Mary. Have a good night. Thank you.